Debord, Jiménez. Welcome back to the International Players Anthem Soccer Podcast. My name is Ramon. With me, as always, Dr. Stephen Whiting on the other line from Bartlesville, Oklahoma. Stephen, what's going on? Just writing prescriptions for success, Ramon. Prescriptions for success. I love it. That's great news. We have a lot to unpack. It's been a big week, big uh, big kind of window of soccer, MLS Cup, Liga MX, European fun, Chicharito going ham. Uh, I wanted to start, though, very quickly, though. I wanted to, uh, you know, uh, part of the reason you and I met, in fact, the reason you and I met is because we were both very briefly writing at Grantland.com uh-huh. as uh, as part of this fantasy football contest. It was a cool thing. They had 4,000 people enter. They picked 10 to write about fantasy football. We were among the 10. And from there, we became friends. Um, from there, we kind of, you know, built uh, BroJackson.com. And uh, I wanted to get your thoughts, Stephen. You know, Grantland shut down by ESPN last week. Obviously, a lot of the talent has had already moved on. Wesley Morris to the New York Times, Rembert Brown to New York Magazine, um, Andy Greenwald had put in his two weeks' notice. Uh, five editors had been hired away by Bill Simmons, um, so there wasn't too too much left. But there was still a giant pack of writers and talent. Um, what does the end of Grantland say to you about you know? the state of journalism um or was it just a circumstantial thing where people left and there was no reason to keep the lights on well i don't know that i can give a a short answer to this because uh and you know for those that that listen to this podcast often they know that i work in local television um so i can kind of see this from two different standpoints and i actually uh was preparing for Champions League yesterday and was, you know, by virtue of, of just flipping the channel there to prepare for it, they had uh, Colin Cowherd and Jason Whitlock on Fox Sports 1, which is not worth your time most of the time. But uh, they were actually discussing this. And I thought it was kind of interesting, Cowherd's outlook on Simmons. And uh, in, in, I'm going to take this kind of in a wider scope. Because he, he, his point was he doesn't think Simmons is – in terms of just his pure writing ability, you know, kind of a LeBron James type. He thinks, you know, hey, this guy's a pretty good writer, but his ideas are what set him apart more than anything, and I would agree with that. Uh, and so in terms of Grantland, I think it was a really great concept, and I think they, they drew in a couple of really good writers, uh, more, more than a couple. But I was never a huge fan of – I when Grantland first started, and I'll be interested to hear your take on this, um, Ramon, but when, when Grantland first started, there was this great hope that, you know, with the, with the power of ESPN, you know, great writing, uh, great storytelling would always have a home because gone were the resources of the dying print age or gone were the struggles of the, the web startup, you know, guided by the beacon of, of idealism, etc. Um, and it just never really materialized. I think they had some good stuff at the beginning, but 
really over the last 18 months, I even before Simmons was forced out, I really felt like the quality of, of Grantland had gone downhill quite a bit, um, you know, for whatever reason. So I think in terms of with it dying, I think it's a it's a disappointment. But I, I think the idea or what it stood for had kind of eroded quite a bit already. Um, now, whether that is because they weren't getting the full backing of ESPN or whether that was because there were a number of things going on behind the scenes, who knows? Um, yeah. But I, I definitely don't think I, I here's the thing, because it, local television is very similar to ESPN. It's all ad driven. Um, and so we have a lot of times we have consultants coming in. We have salespeople doing things without consulting the, the newsroom. Or the, and, and this goes everywhere. I'm sure you run into this at the Daily Dot in some cases it may not be as is is grave circumstances, but, uh, there will always be, if journalism is done well, if storytelling is done well, there will always be a place for it. There will always be a, uh, market for it. There's a, there's a saying in television that, uh, you know, people aren't as dumb as you think they are. Listen, you know, if, if you and I are watching, uh, whether it be like pardon the interruption or maybe a college football game or a soccer game, there are things I'm going to notice because I work in the industry that are going to drive me crazy. Like maybe a cameraman's shot was moving on the end of a replay that you won't even notice. But the big things, the storytelling, you know, and it goes, whether you're doing print or video, picking out great sound bites, you know, developing, fleshing out a narrative and getting from point A to point B, people will always consume that when that's done well. And you don't need Grantland to do that. Um, Grantland was a, was a good hope. It was, it would have been really nice if it would have, uh, you know, stayed and been kind of like, I don't know, writing HQ, you know what I mean? Like that, that, which was kind of the hope originally, but, um, I, I don't know. I wasn't that disappointed with it. Um, I didn't really have a great experience being associated with Grantland anyway. So I, you know, just from a personal bias standpoint, wasn't that upset about it, but, uh, I, I don't know. I'm curious what your take is Ramon, because I think, uh, you and I are both, I, I would say that we're both pretty idealistic, but I think that uh, I think we we aren't quite as close on the fence, um, just by virtue of our experiences. Since I work in television, yeah. and you're more of a print guy. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the, the real lesson is that uh, the the fundamental problem with advertising on the internet right now is that the only thing that matters is clicks and not time on site. We haven't evolved to the point where time on site matters the way it should. So you just have to get people to hate read your headline, and um, and that's just true across the board. There was that piece in uh, Slate this week that uh, wrote, was this really, really pointless and really stupid manifesto against spooning because spooning uh, was sexist. Um, <laughs> and it was it was like a really incoherent mess that 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 just really took one line of kind of like millennial mid-twenties thought catalog writing to a very stupid extreme that um, that was irredeemable. Well, but isn't, I mean, as you're touching on, isn't that what it's become? It's become who's, it's it's kind of funny, just the way, what what becomes popular is, and it's because of the 24-hour the news cycle and the tweets yeah. and stuff, but... Well, it's, yeah, it's it's the hot it's it's. I mean, think about it. It's, yeah, it's a cheap. It's a cheap. It's a hot take that you that is made cheaply because it doesn't require any resources to report. It's just an essay, um, uh, propped up by supporting other links. You know, the Daily Dot ourselves, like we ran an article 
that I haven't read yet. Um, and it, I think it was before my time. But we ran an article that basically said that Hole was a better band than Nirvana because people are sexist and Courtney Love got a bad <laughs> rap. Um, and and again, so it's just like it's taking a point. You know, you know, like there's a very valid point in saying Courtney Love as a musician got a bad rap because of sexism in the music industry. That's a very valid point. But the the you don't you don't say that in a headline. You have you have to say why Hole was a better band than Nirvana and piss everybody off. And you have to kind of hit that hit that line. So it's uh it's, it's frustrating. So anyway, so Grantland going down, um, sort of you know it does show that th- that it's just it wasn't profitable and. ESPN, on his first podcast, Bill Simmons was detailing all the reasons why he was upset with ESPN in terms of them not giving Grantland a chance, not putting them on the main page, not promoting them. Um, And, and yeah, what what Simmons built up was kind of a boutique shop. You know, it was kind of like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, induction ceremony where at the end you just get a bunch of musicians together and they jam. Um, A a sharp direction, a sharp point to the site, uh, a a hard vision, a hard – uh, core value um, wasn't quite there. It was sports and pop culture, and some of it was really, really engaging because you had some unbelievable writers uh, doing fun stuff. But some of it just didn't didn't turn a corner the way it, it probably should have. But yeah, when when the guy that started Grantland basically because it was a contract negotiation ploy, when he leaves, and then he comes back and takes five editors. And then all the best writers want to leave. I mean, what's the point in keeping the lights on? So I, I don't know. Yeah. If it's, yeah I mean, I mean I they weren't making any money off of it. So, yeah, you know, what's yeah, yeah, the incentive yeah. there? Yep. Yeah. ESPN has shareholders and you have to, I mean, I, I, it's, it's sad because it, we enjoy the product, but you know, the, um, and it's sad because there's really good writers that got a really raw deal. People like Stephen Hiding that are like fantastic. Uh, so we'll see. You know, it, it was a cool thing, though. It's I, a net loss. I would it, put it – I would – to close it out, I would put it this way, uh, and this this will be a good Austin analogy for you. I would put it in the same boat as, as barbecue. Um, so you've got, for example, uh, Aaron Franklin's barbecue. He's never advertised a day in his life, and they're open, what, six days a week, and it's they sell out every day. But – you know, it wasn't until, I mean, it, it was a groundswell thing. So if Grantland had been around and been achieving this quality, I think for another two or three years, that would have started to matriculate. I mean, if, if you make something of the highest quality, people will always find it. So I guess that's why I'm not that disappointed in Grantland. I'm disappointed that it didn't become what we all thought it was going to become when it was started, what, two, three years ago. But I, I think that somebody's going to come along and find a way to build up a, you know, an arsenal of, of good writers, good videos, good storytellers. Let me put it that way, good storytellers. And that at some point in the next 20 years, we'll have that hub. Um, just, I, I just, I think that, you know, we're going to just, it'll happen. It's just a matter of somebody figuring it out. So, yeah. And who yeah. knows? Could be Simmons at HBO. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know. Exactly. Uh, the HBO thing is interesting because I think there'll be a little bit more autonomy. Anyway, we should probably move on. Um, so yeah, dude. So that that's kind of where we're at. Um, also, you know, you know, it's funny. I didn't realize Aaron Franklin was in a Austin punk band called Those Peabodies that I saw like in 2002. I had no really? idea he was like an old punk rock guy. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Um, 
Uh, and uh, anyway, all right. So um, let's talk a little bit about soccer. And before we kind of break down into MLS, I guess maybe the biggest kind of uh, localized interesting news is that San Antonio, as reported by Fox 7 Austin, has created a clear pathway for MLS expansion. What does that mean? Basically, they bought Toyota Field to the tune of $18 million, and uh, Spurs Sports and Entertainment will pay an additional $3 million for a total of $21 million, and they're basically going to revamp the league where the uh, San Antonio is at the Scorpions play. Um, and uh, this is a very clear path toward that type of MLS citizenship. Uh, Stephen, I want to get your thoughts. I want to get... Um, you know, kind of what you what what you think about what's happening, not just with the MLS, but with the league behind it, the league that the Scorpions currently play in, because both leagues are really really blowing up. And is that a good thing? Uh, I, you know, I don't know. Um, one of the things that killed the original NSL was that they expanded too fast, um, and I've referenced it a couple times because there's the the great soundbite about the death of the NASL is like a three minute clip within the documentary about the cosmos called uh once in a lifetime that came out i want to say around like 2006 or 2007 it could have been a little later than that um but the uh you know i don't i don't know um i think part of me wants to see the mls expand somewhere else this would be the third team in uh, in texas but then again texas is the size of like five states so um, it's, it's kind of hard to like, um, to, uh, to fault them because there's such a huge market there and you're going to probably pull people up from Mexico. Uh, I mean, think we, you and I went and saw Mexico play South Korea in the Alamo dome, uh, what last year, I think, or maybe a year and a half ago. And I mean, there were a ton of people that made that trip from Monterey and, and, uh, Laredo. And, and so it's, in terms of a, a market demographic stuff, it absolutely makes sense. And even though and this was something I didn't know until I met you, there's such a rivalry between Austin and San Antonio. You're absolutely going to pull fans from Austin, I think. Um, so I, I think it's good. I mean, expansion's good. You worry considering that Don Garber continues to bring up that nobody's actually making money. Now, whether or not that's true or not, I don't know. Uh, I do know that everything seems to hinge on the television deals. Uh, USL, which the team I work for, the Tulsa Roughnecks, plays in, uh, they're expanding to like 30 teams in the next couple years. It's pretty crazy. They were, I think, at 10 or 12 teams two years ago. They were up to 24 this year. And then they've seen the Rio Grande Valley in Texas, Cincinnati, uh, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania is getting a team, I believe. Uh, I can't even think of that. They just keep rolling them out. Kansas City is actually offended. It's ended its affiliation with Oklahoma City and is creating a B team. Uh, Orlando is creating a B team that's going to play in there. So uh, a number of teams, it, it's, it's, it's expanding. So uh, it'll be interesting to see, I think, if anything, what the footprint of soccer becomes in this country. Um, certainly, I think a lot of the people – that are involved in, in putting together uh, these teams are, you know, hesitant to see a, a, you know, kind of a repeat of what happened with the original NASL. But uh, it's, it's interesting to see, you know, is, is there a market for it and how will these teams do? Um, you know, kind of like Grantland, is this a flash in the pan? Is this something um, that's going to take hold and, and see if it evolves? So uh, I don't know. I think, I think, you know, positive thoughts for now and we'll see where it goes. You know, speaking of MLS, um, 
we should probably talk a little bit about the MLS playoffs that are happening right now. The MLS Cup playoffs, um, probably the most exciting that they've been uh, in recent memory. Uh, a really fantastic, you know, they call it the knockout round, but but you know, if you think in terms of an NFL playoff tree, it was the play, it was the wild card round. You know, you had the, the four, five, uh-huh. and the three, six teams play each other on the west and on the east. Um, really sensational knockout round. You had Toronto FC, a team that the league has heavily invested in, a, a team that the league is set up to be one of the dominant teams. Brought in Gervinho from Italy, Michael Bradley, Josie Altidore. Uh, they they completely wet the bed as a succeed. Lose to the Montreal Impact on the road, three nothing. Just get completely drilled. And we'll get to them in, in just a moment. Uh, the New England Revolution and DC United, kind of a classic MLS uh, rivalry. Down in RFK, DC United take that one two to one. Um, this was probably the best game. Sporting Kansas City in Portland, uh, late um, late uh, on Thursday uh, last week. Finished two two. Portland wins in penalty kicks. The devastation of both Stephen and I, our beloved Sporting Kansas City, going home early. The defending champs, if I remember correctly, or maybe that was two years ago. I, I honestly don't remember. That was um, that was two years ago. Last year was the Galaxy. Yeah, I, sh- I should have known that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Don- Donovan went out as a champ. There you go. Uh, all right, and then. Speaking of the Galaxy, the uh, Los Angeles Galaxy and Seattle Sounders scoring four goals in the opening 20 minutes. Seattle putting it away late. Um, again, another team that is heavily invested in by the league. And, and, and we should talk about this a little bit, you know, because the old, yeah, it's not fair to say old, but the over-the-hill superstars that come to us from Europe, Robbie Keane, Frank, uh, you know, Steven Gerrard, Frank Lampard, Pirlo, um, Kaká, all these guys are home sitting out the only guy that's left is Drogba but um Steve what does it say to you that you know a league that markets these legendary European players uh is now in its conference semifinals and and I should run through that very quickly because Montreal beat Columbus 2-1 in the conference semis DC United lost to the New York Red Bulls 1-0 Portland and the Vancouver Whitecaps tied Seattle beat Dallas on the road 2-1 so on the on the return leg right now it's looking like Montreal New York um, Seattle and potentially Portland or Vancouver, although I think Portland is is, is kind of your breakout team there, um, looking like the favorites for the conference semis, which are going to be going down this weekend. Uh, Stephen, again, what does it say that all the stars are watching from home? Well, I, I mean, I don't know. We've seen this for a couple years now. Um, you know, Thierry Henry came over and was – mildly successful but nothing like you know Giovinco or Robbie Keane you know have been or even Didier Drogba this year who who I think has uh, like something ridiculous like 13 goals and 13 games or something like that I know that stat's wrong but it's it's up there um and then yeah you have players like uh you know Clint Dipsy was kind of a late bloomer over here um certainly Steven Gerrard didn't have the best time uh, Pirlo and Frank Lampard didn't didn't really take hold very well with New York uh, City FC. I just think that it's it's a different style of game. I think it's twofold. We've certainly seen the cent- the core of the Central American talent get better um, just by virtue of the Concacaf qualifying. You know, Panama has become a threat. Honduras has become a threat. Um, you know, Honduras has made the last couple World Cups. Costa Rica making the final eight. Um, and certainly they have, they have players in Europe, but they have plenty of players over here. And I think that, you know, Henri used to kind of mention that the travel in, in the U S is so different than what they're used to over in Europe. And I think it's just, there's certainly an acclimation period. Yeah. How's it different? Just, just the sheer length, uh, you know, in, in New York city to LA, uh, trip 
is, I don't want to say the norm, but when you compare it to playing in England or France or Germany, I mean, just the real estate, you know, you, that's something you might, you know, come across in Europe or in England, if you're traveling from Burnmouth to Manchester, maybe, but it's, you know, it's just a lot, a lot different. And then the climate, you know, our summer climate is not, not ideal to play soccer in, you know, playing in 98 degrees in Houston, Texas. Um, certainly you grew up in Texas, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's not, not the best weather to, to run 90 minutes in. So, so oh, it's, it's horrible. Yeah. The dynamo fans call it the oven and yeah, it's just one about yeah. one, one of the most unpleasant places on earth. Um, well, I mean, right. the humidity in Houston cannot be, you know, overvalued in, in that scenario. But I guess the point is there are just so many factors in play, you know, there's, uh, being in the United States and adjusting to a new country, there's the travel, there's the weather conditions. You know, like I said, you've got Houston in the summer, and then if you play in Kansas City or Boston in November or December, you're playing, you know, on frozen tundra essentially. So I think there are a lot of things, but I, I think also, and you know, this is one of the first points I made, the talent over here continues to get better. Now, Drogba did come out and say. Uh, I think last week that the the U.S. has a ways to go uh, before it's able to get there in terms of the top-level talent, but that's something we've known. I think that a good indication of, of, you know, a good litmus test for where the MLS will be will be here in these CONCACAF Champions League quarterfinals coming up where we've got uh, U.S., you know, League MX versus MLS teams in every matchup. Uh, now, with, with the budgets that, that League MX has, League MX should sweep them, but... If they don't, then maybe there's progress. We'll just have to see. Yeah. All right. And now speaking of the, the game itself, you know, there's four teams left in each conference. Um, uh-huh. you know, who do you like to win these uh, these semifinals? And ultimately, who do you see coming? Well, yeah, forget, forget about the semifinals because by the time many of you are listening to this, it's over. But, you know, who do you like to come out of the East and to come out of the West? And who do you think people should really be looking at as the best team? I thought Dallas was looking like that team, but all of a sudden, Clint Dempsey – has the sound is rejuvenated. Dallas might just get, you know, nipped in the heel and and uh, and, and go down here. Now they, now Dallas has to go all the way up to the Pacific Northwest for that return leg. Um, Stephen, where are you at? I'm still going to ride with Dallas. Uh, I mean, they're they're going to be at home here in the next matchup with Seattle. Played Seattle tight. Actually jumped out on Seattle in this game. Uh, I don't think overturning a one goal deficit is going to be too hard. Uh, so I'm going to ride with Dallas at least to get out of this Seattle Sounders matchup, uh, in which case I wonder if Seattle may blow it up finally, if that's the case. I mean, as you alluded to, lots of money invested over the last couple of years with, uh, you know, Dempsey and Obafemi Martins and, and quite a few other players that they brought in. Um, you know, whether they decide to finally blow it up because they can't get over the hump could be interesting to see. I'm going to ride with Drogba in, out of the East. I think that uh, I think Montreal has just caught fire since he's, he's come back. And, and certainly the Red Bulls have played well. D.C. United has been a, an absolute force of the last two years. Uh, but I, I, it's hard to go against Montreal. So I'm, I'm thinking Montreal-Dallas. I know that Portland was a team you had tapped coming in. They survived Kansas City. Um, you know, they got to go on the road to Vancouver and get a goal or two to get out of the semis, but, uh, I really like Montreal Dallas for the final and I'm going to, I'm going to ride with Dallas actually, you know, Montreal reminds me a lot of new England last year when Jermaine Jones came over and they just absolutely blew up, made that run all the way to the final. But Dallas has got a good core, uh, certainly Blas Perez, you know, folks will remember him from the gold cup from Panama. Um, 
Bobby and Castillo. They've got a number of number of good young stars in Dallas, a good core, and uh, I think this is Dallas's year. I love it. Yeah, um, you know, I, I was I was with you until I saw that Seattle game. And I think Seattle is hot right now. I mean, I think they're just they're just starting to cook. So I, I like Seattle to not only finish off Dallas in an upset, but to come out of the come out of the West. And um, I think the winner of that game wins it all. I'll say that much. I would agree with that sentiment. Yeah, yeah. I just, I'm just feel. I just, I just think. I, I, and you know, this is a little bit of a cop out, but you know, the uh, what is it, the the supporter shield or the you know, whatever the fucking you, you get, you get some kind of mild trophy for having the best record. Uh, the New York Red Bulls. Uh, I I expect them to finish off DC United, and I think they're good enough to get to the end. So I I like a Seattle New York final, and um, you heard it here first. First, folks, I think Seattle is hot. I think Seattle has a really very real, very tough home field advantage that, that people are behind, and I like Seattle to win it all. So there you go. All right, uh, let's talk a little bit of uh, of Champions League. You know, not not too too much to set up. You know, we're we're kind of in that home stretch. You kind of know who's going to be in there. I suppose I should run through this very quickly. We know that in Group A, Real Madrid and Paris Saint Germain are going to come out. We know that in Group B, well, Man United, PSG, Eindhoven, and Wolfsburg are all kind of jostling for position. Um, that that could go either way. Benfica, Atletico Madrid seem to be the favorites in Group C. I don't think anyone's going to catch either of them. Group D, Manchester City and Juventus are in. Sevilla is out and will go on to the Europa League. Group E, this one's this one's kind of a kind of a fun, a fun one. Barcelona has clinched the group and, and clinched uh, getting out of it. Roma and Bayer Leverkusen. Uh, heartbreaking game yesterday for Bayer Leverkusen fans, despite a Chicharito goal, a fourth Chicharito goal in four Champions Leagues. Uh, games uh, erasing a two nothing deficit, coming back two two to tie it on Chicharito's goal. Roma wins that one late, so Roma has a one point advantage in Group B. Um, but I do think Leverkusen gets to beat up on Bati Borisov, so that one is going to come down to the wire. Group F: Bayern Munich, Olympiacos, everybody else. Group G: Porto and Chelsea, everybody else. Group H: uh, the Russian team with Hulk on it, Zenit St. Petersburg, Valencia appears to be the clear favorite for the runner-up position. Um, I don't know, Stephen, anything anything big to note? I mean, I, I feel like we're trucking along more or less predictably to the um, to the to the Sweet 16 phase of the competition. You know, Cristiano Ronaldo leads all scorers with five goals. Thomas Mueller, uh, Lewandowski, and Javier Hernandez each have four. Uh, but, I, I mean, I just think, I, I don't know, I'm not seeing anything particularly noteworthy uh, that that our folks need to know about. Just keep watching those games because they're going to be perpetually awesome, and the stakes are getting high. And I mean, what else do you need to know? I think that uh, there are a couple of things I would pay attention to. I think that Group B with Manchester United is a complete toss-up. Uh, PSV winning against Wolfsburg yesterday really everybody is still in play in that group. Um, so that's that's kind of a group I would keep tabs on. Bayern Munich Arsenal yesterday brought up two things for me. Number one, that Bayern Munich Bayern Munich got Arjen Robin back. And this is a team that was absolutely handled in London, was it a week ago, two weeks ago? And then you saw, I mean, this was Pep Guardiola's, you know, finally had all his pieces back, and you can just see what an absolute juggernaut this club is when everybody's healthy. Um, But that being said, Arsenal, keep tabs on. They're not out of it yet. If they win their next two in Olympiacos, uh, who I think has Bayern Munich and Arsenal as its last two games, 
Um, so it's very, it's absolutely conceivable that Arsenal could come out of nowhere and win on goal difference over Olympiacos. Um, certainly something to circle, but um, yeah, for the most part, everything's going as planned. Uh, a little surprising. Chelsea, you know, needs to take care of business. Dynamo Kiev is only two points back with two games to go, so Chelsea needs to take care of business to get into the into the next round. Uh, certainly, their their struggles in the Premier League have been documented. Um, Leverkusen, Roma, hard to root against Chicharito. Um, again, they're only a point back, and that one's going to go down to the wire. I believe they play. Uh, well, no, they don't play head up again. But as you said, uh, Roma's got uh, Roma and, and Leverkusen both have Bate Borisov left, and I think they both have Barcelona. So it'd be interesting to see how that goes. Uh, yeah, Manchester City getting in—that's that's a little surprising. They're already through, so. Yeah, for the most part, things going as planned. Atletico Madrid needs to kind of take care of business, but they're they're one one W away from locking it up. So. Yeah, yeah, and no, it's it's gonna be exciting. I mean, just just stay tuned, and um, it's gonna be really fun. It's gonna be a bloodbath final month. But I, I mean, I, I, again, I just think you just have to watch these games. You know, they, these are fantastic. They happen in the middle of the workday. You know, yesterday, you, if yeah. those of you those of you lucky to have oh, kind of like two monitors at and work. And props to Fabian Johnson for getting a Champions League goal for Gladbach in the uh, draw with Juventus this week. Hey, I didn't even notice. That's fantastic. That's awesome. Um, that's fantastic. You, you got and you know while we're while we're dishing out props to people that we love, how about props to Miguel Herrera, disgraced Mexican manager, will now manage the Tijuana Cholos. Just about the perfect fit. That that place is going to be going fucking ham. I was actually talking to a guy during uh, the Austin City Limits Festival who lives in San Diego, and he said he made the mistake of going down to Tijuana for a uh, Liga MX game. And by the end of it, he was like, man, I just I just hope I get home alive. Um, so I, Miguel Herrera in Tijuana, look out. I can't wait for that. It's going to be like uh, there, there was that Simpsons episode where, like, Krusty the Clown takes the kids to Tijuana. It's going to be amazing. Um, all right. So speaking of Liga MX, again, we're down to the wire as well. Uh, it's looking like... It's a three-team race right now. I mean, you know, despite, you know, don't believe the points because everyone's kind of bundled up. Looks like Puma is the team that I've supported for 25 years plus will win the points race and finish with a, you know, one overall seed. Uh, the downside of that is that Carretero, uh, Querétaro, right now is making a serious push for the eighth seed, and if they get in, they're going to be hot. That 1-8 matchup is a trap. Uh, beyond that, it's... You know, the clubs you've heard of, uh, Club America, is sitting there comfortably at the two spot. They just won a 3-2 crazy game uh, where the Brush Peralta missed a penalty, but they found a way to squeak it out. Um, Leon, uh, a team that won the uh, the league in December 2013 uh, behind Rafa Marquez, is kind of back now after, you know, making a run in the Copa Libertadores. But, you know, the third best team in Mexico, and maybe the second best team in Mexico, is the, uh, the, the, the Tigres out of Monterrey. Fresh off of the Copa de Redes final, spending some money. Tuca Ferretti, the coach that beat the United States, has them clicking now for for the playoff push. It's going to be a great a great month of of playoff soccer for those that don't follow the Mexican league more closely. Basically, top eight make the playoffs. One eight, two seven, three six, four five. They each do a home and home, and giddy up. It's going to be fantastic. Um, giddy up. I don't know. Giddy up. So that, that, that's that's kind of where we're at, man. That that's that's what's going down. Um, now, Stephen, I gotta ask you though, bro. I, I gotta ask you, man. What what are you watching this weekend? Oh man, uh, 
I probably got to stick with my English Premier League. Uh, although, you know, the, the German Bundesliga, do not sleep on Dortmund as well as Bayern Munich's playing. Do not sleep on Dortmund. Wolfsburg has kind of figured it out after selling Kevin De Bruyne, but uh, going to go with England, and I guess, man, I don't know. There's a lot of solid games. There's, there was a lot of good games last week. Uh, it seemed like every game was a great matchup last week. This week, hmm, got to go with, man, Lester Watford would be good. West Ham Everton's going to be good. Uh, let's say I got one. I'm going to save. There's two really, really good ones. They're both Sunday. I'll let you have the other, but I'm going to go with Liverpool Crystal Palace at Anfield. Jurgen Klopp seems to have, uh, have everybody dialed in. So, you know, that it's going to be tough because going on uh, at the same time, which is 10 a.m. Central time is a game that you will probably be watching. Oh, you better believe it, man. It's the, that's <laughs> uh, the North London Derby, uh, Arsenal, Tottenham, it was funny. That, that game's going to be so good because both teams are, well, you know, I don't know. I think people thought Arsenal was a little bit better. The great headline in Despin yesterday after that Bayern Munich uh, deconstruction was, that was really mean what Bayern did to Arsenal, you guys. Like, that that, that was yeah. a, a, a complete beatdown. So, yeah, I mean, I, but still, Arsenal, uh, Tottenham, um, I don't know, man. I, I still I, think Arsenal's going to win the league. Yeah, I mean, Arsenal looks like maybe the best team in the Premier League right now. Manchester City isn't – it just – it's not it's not clicking uh, as as dominantly as, as we thought earlier. Uh, I still think Man City wins, but I think Tottenham isn't playing to win the league but is playing with a very clear, defined shot at that top four finish, and I think there's blood in the water. Uh, Tottenham has not lost since opening day. Now that has included five, I think five or six draws, but that cluster of players is is really being deployed nicely, coming along together. Um, people that you forgot about, or you know, like Danny Rose and Kyle Walker are playing well. Um, the new faces are gelling. Harry Kane yeah. found his foot. Della Ali a little has bit. been fantastic for Tottenham. The yeah, and, nineteen. Well, that's that, that's the problem. It's still the youngest team in the league. I think the average starting age is just south of 24 years old like 23 and a half years old and so it is a young team um arsenal is more talented and is in its prime but you know i think every spurs fan feels good about this um and not just because we're delusional and really dislike arsenal so i i like tottenham to to get another 2-1 result that's just kind of what 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 they've been doing um, against this team lately, and that that's where I'm that's where I'm going. Uh, speaking of dreaming big, the under 17 World Cups. That's what that's what I'm watching actually later today on Thursday. Um, Nigeria is playing Mexico in the semifinals. This is a rematch of the 2013. The usual final. suspects. The usual suspect. Nigeria has won. I think they've been doing the the under 17 World Cup since about the late 80s, early 90s. Nigeria has won it four times. Mexico has won it twice. Nigeria beat Mexico in the final in 2013. Um, mm-hmm. Now, that said, this could be a little bit of a mismatch. Uh, for example, Mexico drew the only draw of the game uh, with Australia 0-0. Zero zero. Um, Nigeria played Australia in the knockout rounds and beat them 6-0. Um, <laughs> Mexico, Mexico has scored 10 goals in this tournament. Uh, Nigeria has one player that has scored 9 goals in this tournament. 
Um, so it's it, there's a physicality to it. There's a you know people are making like Danny Almonte jokes because these kids look to be much older than 17. Obviously that's who knows, but I do think I I, I can't wait for the Nigeria youth soccer documentary. You know because they you know yeah. Brazil, we've seen like teams like Argentina and Brazil do well, and even Mexico to a smaller extent do really well at the youth level and 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 have that eventually translate to the senior level. And Nigeria is just a series of tragedies, a series of players that like never panned out, or that were, and and I'm sure that's because of development and resources and like weird politics within the federation. But man, like, where are all these Nigerian superstar athletes that can't translate to the senior game? And I don't think it's a simple, you know, the reductive answer is to say, well, the Nigerian U17 is just really big and really strong, and and that's an advantage that you lose over time as people get bigger. I don't think it's that simple. Um, and certainly, you're seeing, you know, Mali is in the final four as well. Uh, so another African nation. So you're seeing strides for African soccer. I'm just hoping that these these players can can translate. Now that said, this Mexican team, pretty pretty special group of kids. Um, Sergio Romero, their keeper, who is uh, trains with the LA Galaxy, owned by the LA Galaxy, is uh, playing out of his mind. Uh, the defensive back line is playing. Fantastic. I mean, usually in the past with a, with a Mexican club, the problem is that you have strikers and you're soft in the back. This is a team that's all defense and actually doesn't have all that great of a strike force. So I think Mexico is going to keep it close, and I think Mexico has what it takes to win. But I still like Nigeria three to two. Um, all right. I think that's it, Stephen. Did, did did we miss anything? Do we want to go red cards of the week, or are we should we just should we just say fuck it? Yeah, let's skip the red cards this week. I think uh, yeah, well, we covered. The youth team and what the other the fourth team that you didn't mention that's in there Belgium, which has been an absolute factory over the last decade, uh, kind of kind of rounding into like complementing Mexico in terms of Mexico and Nigeria both and in, in uh, their youth presence. But uh, yeah, I mean it's it's a big week. Stay tuned. Uh, certainly, let's keep an eye everybody on this expansion stuff in the United States. Uh, you know, this was I don't know that we would have even thought we'd be talking about NASL or or USL soccer when we started doing this two years ago uh also keep in mind freddie adu is back in the nasl playing for tampa bay and has been playing pretty well so that's something you know could we see him back in mls soon uh stay tuned folks but uh yeah for now let's let's go ahead and wrap it up ramon uh keep an eye on that north london derby you got liverpool palace man city villa man united west brom lester third place only three points back of your leaders man city and arsenal playing at home to watford this week so you know, if Arsenal or Man City get tripped up, you could see Leicester back at the top of the table again. But uh, until next time, folks. Oh, I don't know, I don't know, oh, where to begin. We are North Americans, and for those of you who still think we're